from Psalms 103. I will read in English and Diane will read in Malay. Psalm 103, a Psalm of David. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. Pujilah Tuhan, hai jiwaku. Pujilah namanya yang suci, hai segenap batinku. Pujilah Tuhan, hai jiwaku, dan jangan lupa akan kebaikannya. Dia mengampunkan segala dosaku dan menyembuhkan segala penyakitku. Dia menyelamatkan aku daripada kematian dan memberkati aku dengan kasih dan rahmat. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. Dia memuaskan hidupku dengan segala yang baik, sehingga aku tetap muda dan kuat seperti burung helang. Tuhan membelah orang yang bertindas dan bertindak dengan adil. Dia menyatakan rancangannya kepada Musa dan perbuatannya kepada bangsa Israel. Tuhan pengasih dan penyayang, panjang sabar dan penuh dengan kasih. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear his fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Dia tidak selalu murka, dia tidak selalu menaruh dendam. Dia tidak menghukum kita setimpal dengan dosa kita. Dia tidak membalas kita dengan kesalahan kita. Tetapi setinggi langit dari bumi, setinggi itu juga kasihnya kepada orang yang menghormatinya. Sejauh timur dari barat, sejauh itu juga dibuangnya dosa kita. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers, we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone, as though we had never been here. Seperti seorang bapa mengasihani anak-anaknya, begitulah Tuhan mengasihani orang yang menghormatinya. Dia tahu bagaimana kita dibentuk. Dia ingat bahawa kita ini debu belaka. Manusia bagaikan rumput yang tumbuh dan mengembang seperti bunga di padang. Apabila ditiup angin, bunga pun hilang. Tiada orang melihatnya lagi. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children, of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commands. The Lord has made the heavens his throne, 
From there, he rules over everything. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans. Tetapi Tuhan tetap mengasihani orang yang menghormati dia, dan kebaikannya akan berlangsung selama-lamanya. Bagi mereka yang setia kepada perjanjiannya dan mentaati perintahnya. Tuhan membina tahtanya di syurga, dia raja yang menguasai semuanya. Pujilah Tuhan, hai malaikat-malaikat yang kuat dan perkasa, yang mendengar dan melakukan perintahnya. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. Praise the Lord, everything he has created, everything and all his kingdom. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Pujilah Tuhan, hai semua tentera syurga, hai kamu yang melakukan kehendaknya. Pujilah Tuhan, hai semua ciptaan di seluruh tempat dia memerintah. Pujilah Tuhan, hai jiwaku. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, family. We're continuing in our series in the book of Psalms, and I've seriously loved our time together in it. Through this series, we've been able to mourn together. We've been able to celebrate together. We give thanks together. We learn together. We discover that it is good and healthy to feel this wide range of emotions. Henry Nouwen states, and this, ver- this quote will be up on the screen, we tend to shy away from mourning and dancing, too afraid to cry, too shy to dance. We become narrow-minded complainers, avoiding pain and also true human joy. While we live in a world subject to the evil one, we belong to God. Let us mourn, let us dance. I love the fact that as a church, we went through a, a sermon and then a, a period of lamentation where we were able to weep together and then we got to pray with those who were weeping. And I love that we also had a moment in our service where we were celebrating together, giving thanks for where God has taken us, what he's brought us through, and we got to celebrate with each other. Church, I hope that we've been learning how to weep when it's time to weep and dance when it's time to dance. And sometimes it's okay to do both at the same time. I know that's an awkward picture. (laughs) The idea of kind of like, (laughs) it's okay. It's a weird looking picture, but sometimes you're called to do both at the same time. Here's what that means. Sometimes we need to dance our way through our weeping, right? Am I right? Sometimes when we're weeping, we still need to choose to dance and be like, it's going to be okay. I'm going to dance through it. And sometimes when we're dancing, we need to still remember those, there are others who are weeping. And we need to weep as we're dancing. So it's a weird looking picture, but we sometimes need to do both. And I love that the book of Psalms, that's if it's taught us anything, it's that it's good and healthy to weep with each other, to mourn with each other, to feel, feel the full range of human emotion. Kind of Christians have developed this bad rap where we're kind of the ones supposed to be like stoic all the time, that nothing is too good or nothing is too bad. No, we need to be the biggest celebrators and the biggest weepers. That sounds weird, but I'm gonna say that anyway. We need to be the most heartbroken over tragedy, over injustice, over hurt, We need to be the ones who weep first and most over those things. But we also need to be the ones who truly understand what it means to celebrate. Because if all else, we have reason to celebrate. So we need to dance harder than other people. You guys hearing me on this? 
Do you understand what I'm saying? The book of Psalms has taught us this, that God is, is the God of emotion. God is the full range of all emotion. He's given it us so that we can enjoy and live this life well, but so also that we can know what it's like. We're made in his image, and these emotions give him glory. So don't be ashamed of your weeping. Don't hide your tears. Weep when you need to weep. And don't be ashamed of your dancing. Even I saw Pastor Josh at one time we were dancing in this church. He's not ashamed of his dancing. You guys don't have to be ashamed of your dancing. Just kidding. It was some good dancing. If I don't have to be ashamed of my dancing, you don't have to be ashamed of your dancing. You're called to dance as well. Today, we're going to look at what we call hymn psalms. That's H-Y-M-N, hymn psalms. That is psalms that are categorized as hymns in the book of psalms. These were meant to be sung together in the congregation of people. Now, I want you to hear that part. I want you to focus on that part. These are songs that were meant to be sung together. That meant to be sung in community. Giving thanks to God needs to be a part of our community DNA, part of who we are as a family. Yes, it's important that you give thanks individually, but, it's, but if our Western culture leans too far in any direction, it's definitely leaning more, more towards rugged individualism. We are meant to live this Christian life of purpose in community. So we weep in community. We dance in community. We do it together as a family. So these are songs of hymns that were meant for the people of Israel in community together to come together and express range of human emotion to give praise and thanks to God. A hymn of praise, or a psalm of hymn, characterizes a public song that is sung with abandonment and praise to God for the, for the character of God's person or the nature of God's creating and liberating actions. I'll say that again. A, a psalm, a hymn psalm, is characterized by a public song, a singing together in a community that is sung with abandonment of praise to God for who he is and what he's done. Walter Brueggemann states, it is an act of self-abandonment that embodies the first question and answer of the Westminster Catechism. So the Westminster Catechism is something that I was actually taught when I was in middle school. Um, and you're like, Westminster Catechism was taught to you in middle school? I know, that's the kind of church I went to in middle school. And there's a series of questions, and I had to memorize this in the old English. And she's a questions and answers. The very first question in the Westminster Catechism is this, what is the chief end of man? Does anybody know the answer? Oh, look at my people. You cheated. I got all proud of you guys for a second. The first question and answer in the Westminster Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? And it says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, Walter Brueggemann says this, the hymn is the way in which the faith community does its glorifying and enjoying in that specific destiny as a foretaste of what is promised. What Walter is stating is that in the singing of these hymn psalms or by giving thanks together, by singing public songs of praise to God for his character and for his creating and liberating acts, we are glorifying God and enjoying him. He's also saying that it's giving a foretaste of what we're going to be doing forever, what's happening in heaven, a foretaste of what is to come. You guys have heard me say this before, and I'll say it again. I'll probably say it over a million times. But I believe the church exists as a twofold reason for why we exist as a local church. And the first reason is this. We are the coming attraction. We are the preview for the kingdom of heaven. We're the thing that you're supposed to look at and be like, ooh, I want to watch that movie. 
right? He hasn't, he hasn't seen the previous movies. And I'm like, look at all those action sequences. Oh yeah, that, that, that's awesome, that, that funny line. And you're like, yes, I wanna watch it. What people need to do when they look at us as the local church, they need to say, that's what the kingdom of heaven looks like? The way they forgive, the way they love, the way they show mercy. We need to be what people look at and say, that's the kingdom of heaven, we don't look like that, I want a part of that. We're the coming attraction of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Also in our diversity, we read in the book of Revelations, it says that it's people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And in the church in the south, that's not what, the church, that's not what churches look like. But we choose intentionally to want to look like the kingdom of heaven in our diversity as well. And so as we come together, and when we come together and we sing psalms of him, when we sing psalms of praise, what we're doing is we're giving a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven to the people around us. We're delighting. We're delighting in the goodness of God. And in that delight, it overflows into song. Not just individual, but communal song. Do you guys understand that's what's happening when we sing praise together? Some of you guys are like, um, I don't really like singing, but I come because that's what they, they do singing at church, so whatever, I'll just do it. Some of you guys are like, oh, I love this singing. It's awesome, because I have a really beautiful voice and you can hear me harmonizing. And I like when people say, oh, you have a good voice. Nobody's ever said that to me, by the way. <laughs> One day I hope for that to happen. Some of you guys like singing because it just has a great emotional feel that you get, and that's okay. But can I tell you, do you really understand that as we gather together in community, do you know what you're doing? As we gather together as a diverse group of people in family, praising God, we're actually giving a foretaste of heaven. As we're enjoying who God is and praising Him, we're actually giving a foretaste, a coming attraction, a preview of the beautiful dynamic and the beautiful reality of heaven that is ours. I love that. There's a little bit of heaven every time we gather together in worship. Do you hear that? That's a beautiful thing. So, there's two questions I want to start off with. Why should we sing psalms of him when things are good? And why should we sing psalms of him when song, uh, things are bad? Two questions, okay? So why should we sing? Why should we proclaim? Why should we give thanks? Why should we sing praise when things are good? And why should we do it when things are bad? Number one, why, thing, why should we sing psalms of him when things are good? Because, one, Enjoyment overflows to praise. The world is radically full of praise. Foodies praising the amazing dish they just had. Sports fans raving about the, their sports team and that touchdown that they saw scored last night. Readers talking about their favorite novel or poet. I read a New York Times article recently called People Collect the Weirdest Things. That's the type of the article. And in this article, there's a man who's just praising his collection of celebrity hair. It's true. He has hair from Albert Einstein, Abraham Lincoln, Marilyn Monroe. He was absolutely, I have no idea how he got it. Doesn't say. It's kind of weird. But he's praising it. People are natural praise givers. That's what happens. People praise whatever they value. What they deem good, what they deem beautiful, what they deem desirable. Not only do they praise, but urge others to praise with them. Isn't that true? Isn't this the best, you gotta have this bite of this fruit. It's the best tasting thing you've ever had. That's something that I've actually said very often. You need to watch this video. It's the funniest thing you've ever seen. Look how beautiful the scenery is. Look how beautiful this painting is. Don't you want to watch it with me? When you enjoy something, you praise it. So we sing psalms of him, number one, because we give thanks when things are good because we enjoy it. 
As we enjoy God, we need to express it. That's a, that's a natural overflow of our enjoyment of God. We sing praise to God because out of our overflow, we enjoy who God is and we sing praise because we are natural praise givers. Two, we give thanks and praise because it completes our enjoyment. C.S. Lewis says this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is his appointed consummation. That's going to be hard to read for you guys. I'm sorry. You can try to. I'll leave it up there for a little while. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have to discover a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur, then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in a ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. Isn't it so true for us? As people of praise, it often, um, it often takes praising something for us to complete our enjoyment of it. You know, I don't know if I was more excited when I got my first date ever. I couldn't know if I was more excited about the fact I got a date or if I could tell my friends that I had a date. You know, I was like, woo! There's something about us that it, it completes our enjoyment of something. When we enjoy something, when we praise it, when we talk about it, that was so good. I have a friend of mine who ate a, di- a dinner in Chicago. I think he's told everybody in the church about how amazing that dinner is in Chicago. Right? Am I right, Dylan? <laughs> he can't stop talking about this one restaurant. Right? And I'm the same way. Gina, well, she makes fun of me all the time, but she always says, like, I'm the master of hyperbole because everything is the best, ama- most amazing thing ever. And so if I had a bite to eat, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so good. I want you to eat it and go, yes, it is. There's something so good to me, something that completes my enjoyment of it. When I look at a piece of art, I want to say, that is so beautiful. I just want to express it. Because if I just sat there inside, that's beautiful. There's something lacking in me. I don't know what it is. I want to finish. I want to complete my enjoyment by praising it. And there's something in me when I take out my pictures of my sons. There's something in me that says, look, look ridiculous cuteness, right? And I love it. I, I praise it because it just completes my enjoyment so often in it. We are made to give praise. And here's the amazing thing about God, that he wants us to complete and to consummate our enjoyment. So as we enjoy him, he wants us to complete our enjoyment of him through praise. Three, we give praise when times are good because it encourages others. When we share our thanks and our good news with others in our family, we celebrate together. We get to experience alongside one another. Guys, I can't believe that happened. I got the job. I got into the school. I made the grade. And we get to celebrate with you. Because it showed me that God provides and he redeems. And we get to do that together. But can I tell you something? So often, sometimes when we share good news with each other, sometimes it leads to jealousy, doesn't it? Sometimes it leads to, well, why you and not me? But when you're family, it's different, isn't it? For, for me growing up, I, there was never once in my life if my dad got good news, it was good news for the family. If my mom had good news, it was good news for the family. If my sister had good it was good news for all of us because we were, we were desperate. We were, we were poor and needy people as a family growing up, um, living in this you know, one-bedroom apartment that was just terrible. and We were needy. And so when good news happened, it was good news for the family. And so we celebrated together. Can I tell you something, people? We're family. And I need your good news. It encourages me. It shows me that God is constantly working and redeeming. 
And I want us, if that's a place, if that's in your heart right now, where it leads to good news of others, leads you to a hard place, you still need family. And you need to understand that we're here together to support each other, to love each other. Good news in family is good news for the whole family. And so we're here, and we need you to celebrate. We need you to praise God for the good work that he's doing because it encourages me because there are times when I might not be going through the good things that you're going through, and it's hard and it's dark, but I need you to show a light, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I need you to give me hope that good things are happening. I need you in your excitement and in your optimism to be saying, okay, okay, that's wearing, rubbing off on me. We need each other. We've never meant to live this Christian life on our own. We're not called to be islands. Christianity knows nothing about solitary religion. It's meant to be lived in community. So your praising of God encourages me. Your praising of the works and the characters encourages me in moments where I need it most. Four, when you praise God and give thanks, when you sing psalms of him, you also share the gospel. In giving thanks, we can ultimately share the gospel because that's ultimately what we're most thankful for. Present good can only be enjoyed if eternal good is secure. That's not a quote. I actually made that one up, so I'm hoping that's actual my quote, if you ever want to use that one day. <laughs> but I really believe that. Present good is only good for me. Present good in the moment is only good. I can really only truly enjoy present good if I have an eternal good secured for me. If I know that like tomorrow I'm going on death row or tomorrow something, by, by the end of my life is happening or something, something bad is going to happen, I'm not really going to enjoy that meal today as much. Right? If I don't know my security in my future, if I don't know that my job is secure, then that present reality of like, oh, I got a bonus, but I don't know if my job is secure. I'm, I'm really struggling here, but I'm going to have a job next week. Well, then that bonus is only going to mean so much to me, isn't it? Do you hear me? But for those of us who have an eternal, secured future, for those of us who know who we are, to whom we belong to, for those of us who know the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, oh man, then can we so much more celebrate the good news of now? Do you get that? Do you understand that? When we celebrate, when we give praise, when we sing psalms of hope, we celebrate the gospel. We celebrate the good news. Get this, hear this. The good news, the great news, the best news, that you did nothing, you could do nothing to earn salvation and right relationship with God. But Jesus did everything. That you weren't good enough, you weren't smart enough, you weren't talented enough, you weren't cute enough, you didn't dress well enough, you didn't have enough money, you didn't have enough connections. There was nothing enough for you. But Jesus loved you enough. And he was good enough. And his, he died on the cross for you. As he took upon all of our sin so that we can be known and we can be loved and we can have purpose. As we understand that's the gospel, that's the good news, the truth that becomes our reality, we then have our eternity secure so that even the good now we can truly enjoy. Do you get that? Those are the reasons why we praise God, why we sing psalms, psalms of him when things are good. Now I'm going to tell you why we sing psalms of him and praise God when things are bad. Number one, hope. Paul Tripp says, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. <laughs> I 
We sing these songs so that we can visualize and hope in the good to come. When you're in the midst of suffering, when you're in the midst of pain, we sing psalms of thanksgiving and of goodness, of God's character and of his creation and of his works because it gives us hope. We remind ourselves in our singing, we say, God, you are good, even though I feel like right now things are bad. We sing, God, you redeemed, God, you saved, even though in the time right now you feel like you're stuck in the muddy pit. You sing songs of redemption and of glory, even though right now you feel like I'm in the midst of the worst of pains. You sing because it gives you hope. Two, you sing because it reminds you. You see, sin, pain, sorrow can blind us to God's present working in our lives. It can even blind us to the miraculous ways he's worked in our lives. But God's work in redemptive history is unassailable. So when we sing songs of praise that talk about God's work in creation, in redemption throughout history, and his work throughout our own lives, we remind ourselves of the truth we sometimes easily forget. That God is good. That he loves us. That he is powerful. He has a plan. And we have a secure future. Ray Ortland has this quote. What do we know for sure as this day dawns? We know that Jesus reigns and everything is going his way. Even in the melodrama of this world, strong reasons to put one foot in front of the other and go and do brave things for the display of his glory. We remind ourselves of the truth. So we sing psalms of hymns and things are bad because one, it gives us hope. Two, it reminds ourselves of who God is and what he's done. And then three, because it encourages each other. When we sing psalms of praise when times are bad, it shows people around us that we can have something that even circumstances cannot take away. I shared this story before, and I'll share it again. There was an English missionary named Alan Gardner. In 1851, he was on his way to South America to start a new mission, and he was shipwrecked on a very remote island. He and his companions tried their very best to stay alive until somebody came to find them, but nobody did. Finally, he died, far away from everybody, far away from his loved ones, far away from his family, dying of thirst, dying of hunger. When they finally discovered his body, they found right next to his body his notebook, his journal. They opened it up and they saw on the very last page that he wrote, Psalm 3410, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good things. Right, under the, right underneath it, his last words, I am overwhelmed with the sense of the goodness of God. While starving to death, while dying of thirst, far away from all family, he gets to write the words, I am overwhelmed, I am full with the goodness of God. This is a man who was able to discover that he's able to sing praise and encourages me because he's able to sing praise and be overwhelmed with the goodness even when food, even when struggle, even when death approached him. He was so overcome with thanksgiving and with praise. And the only way that was able to happen is because the one thing that he discovered that was worth of note, the one thing that was worth more than anything else is relationship with God. And it was so good, it was so powerful that even death had nothing to do, nothing to take away from it. Can I tell you something, guys? There are circumstances that are gonna happen in your life and you're gonna look at it and you're gonna think this is the worst of situations. Pain and suffering will occur to you. We need each other in the midst of pain and suffering to praise God because that encourages me.
Because when I see Nathan praising God when things are going bad, it gives me hope and encourages me. And when I see Stacy and Leslin praising God in the midst of physical and medical issues, it encourages me. It makes me feel hope. It shows me that they have something that's worth more even than their pain and suffering. Four, when we sing praise in the midst of difficult times and suffering, it helps us make and live in a new reality. We give thanks, sing songs of praise in bad times because those of us who trust in the sovereign God knows that even the worst of circumstances can be used by God to make a new reality. Genesis 50:20 says this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This is Joseph, by the way, saying this. Talking to his brothers who sold him off into slavery. And he's saying, oh, it's all good. I'm praising God. You sold me off into slavery. That's okay. Because God meant it for good. Giving praise in the middle of bad times shapes our vision to the new reality that God is using. Even suffering, even being sold into slavery by your own family into a means of good. It is a complete shift in looking at the world from just what it does to benefit you, but looking at the world from a godly perspective. It changes your reality. What it does, it then shifts the circumstances when you praise God in the midst of the bad because you understand that God is sovereign and his plan is even greater. What that does, get this, I want you to hear this. What that does is when you suffer tragedy, when you go through loss and suffering, when you go through pain, it changes it. The way you look at it now is no longer as woe is me. How terrible could this happen? How could this happen to me? And you give praise in the midst of it. What that does, it changes you to realize God is in control of even this. And he's using it, even this, for glory. So it's no longer meaningless and no longer pointless. So that the cancer you suffer, the death you experience, the loss that you had is no longer meaningless. Instead, it now has a reality. It creates a new reality, a new world that says, yes, God, even this you're using for good. Do you get that? When we praise God in the midst of our suffering, when we give songs of praise, it changes our reality. It changes our perspective. It changes our, our focus. It changes our paradigm. It literally shifts it all, flips it up in its head, and says that even the bad God you're using for good. So yes, in the midst of cancer, I'll praise you. In the midst of losing my loved ones, I'll praise you. In the midst of losing my job, I'll praise you because it's yourself, God. And if I didn't have that, how do I go through the meaningless of life? If I don't believe that, how do you go through the randomness of loss, of, of hurt, and just think it's just, uh, just happens. It's pointless or meaningless. But with God, this new reality is that everything has purpose. Even if developing your character to make you more like Jesus is worth it. We sing these psalms of praise. We sing these psalms of him. In the good and in the bad times. We do it as a family. Diving in really quickly, I won't take too much time with this. Into this Psalm 103 in particular. It starts off verses 1 through 2. Literally is this individual invitation, a command to your own heart, a command to your own soul to praise the Lord. Right? 
Will you throw Psalm 1 and 2, uh, verses 1 and 2 on the board? Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I'll praise his holy name. In the ESV, it says, bless the Lord, O my soul. This is this literally a summons to your own soul to praise it. It's a command from your inmost being. Sometimes, guys, I want you to hear this. Sometimes blessing and praising flows naturally together. It just comes out of your soul. But sometimes you need to command your soul to do it. Right? When you lost your job or when you're hurting, you have to command in the midst of your weeping, you command your soul. So what I talked about earlier today, sometimes you have to weep in your dancing and dance in your weeping. Guys, can I tell you something? That when times are bad, we have all these reasons still to praise and to command your soul to praise God. Verses 3 through 19, so it starts off with an invitation, an individual calling, a proclamation to your soul that says, come, rise up, and praise God. That is, verses 3 through 19, it's literally praising the Lord for all of his benefits. Benefits are stunningly generous, not in line with what we deserve. It's God shatters all of our expectations and gives us much more than we need, much more than we want, much, much more than we deserve. We are loved far better than we deserve to be loved. He does three things in particular. One, he heals our diseases. Two, he gives unfailing love. And three, he forgives our sins. In verses three through 19, he heals our diseases. It says your youth is renewed like the eagle. Eagles are long-lived creatures, um, but when, what the eagles do, this, this is really kind of cool, they actually shed. Did you guys know eagles shed? I had no idea about that, by the way. And they actually get renewed. This is why it says be renewed like an eagle. They actually shed and get kind of, like look, they, they're long-lived, but they actually can look young and still fly well as, as they get older because they actually shed and grow new feathers. Did not know that. You're welcome. <laughs> National Geographic. Actually, that, wasn't, that was from Eric. Eric did some research. Where's Eric at? Good job, Eric, on the research. Eagles are also seen as a picture of strength soaring effortlessly into their old age. This idea is that God heals our diseases. He heals us to allow us to be made renewed. Now, some of you guys might sit here and say, well, he doesn't heal all of our diseases. And you're right. He doesn't. He doesn't heal all our diseases. But he heals the ultimate disease of our soul that is tainted, that, that is broken, that is separate from God. And in that healing, yes, he also does heal our body. And not all the time. And when he doesn't, there's a purpose that we believe a meaning to it. So he renews our strength, makes us like an eagle. Where else have we heard that? Anywhere? What other book? There you go. Good job. I, love, I like keeping you guys on your toes. Two, he gives unfailing love. For his love toward those who fear him is, is great as the height of the heavens above the earth. I love the way God's love is described here. His unfailing love is as high as the heavens above the earth. And how high is that? It's like talking to a little kid and trying to like, come up with a number bigger than the other kid's number. Like I say, if I tell him, hey, I love you 100. Like, oh, I love you 110. No, I love you 100 plus 100. Oh, I love you 100 times 100. Whoa, that's getting big. There's like, well, I love you 1,000 times 1,000. And then somebody always busts out the trump card. I love you infinity. Then I'm like, I love you infinity plus one. I just got that. And then they're like, no, nah, I got you. I always love you one more than you love me. Dang it. But then I tried to argue. If I say second, it's always more because the second person can always go higher. But then we get to a logic trap. It doesn't work out well. You can't measure it. You can't measure the, the depth and the breadth of how great God's love is. It's as high as in heaven. Verse 13, the Lord is like a father to his children. I look at Josiah and Hudson. Guys, I can't help but think I love you so much. 
I look at your side, Hudson, and I think, is there a way to measure this? I can't gauge the amount of feeling I have. I was sharing this earlier with the, with the team. I was saying, you know, Josiah Hudson could be, there could be a poopy diaper around. They could be throwing food at me. They could be yelling and screaming, and I could be wanting to, like, strangle them. At the same time, I still can't love them anymore because I love them so much. In the midst of that, in the midst of throwing food, in the midst of this misbehaving, I still look at them and I say, I love you so much. I just want to eat your cheeks up. They're so cute. I love my boys. But can I tell you, can I tell you, that is a glimpse. That is nothing compared to the, the heights of God's love for you. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what's going on in your life, but can I just tell you that reality? If you need to hear anything else, just hear this truth. God's unfailing Love for you causes your body to be renewed, causes you to be healed of your diseases, causes you to have forgiveness of sin. But it starts with this. It's unfailing love for you. It's not measurable. It's as high as the heavens are above the earth. It's infinity times infinity. It's always one more than you can imagine. His love is so great for you. Do you believe that? He forgives our sins and his great love. It's obvious as people that we do not obey all of God's commandments, yet he doesn't deal with us the way we, our actions dictate. Instead, he forgives. I love it. It says, he removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Once again, I, I mean, this poetic language of Psalms, how far away is the east from the west? Um, I don't, I, I, why do you ask hard questions, Lawrence? I'm sorry. I don't know. I can't comprehend it. But God in his goodness, in his love, the thing that separates us from him, he removes it from us. Not because we're good enough, not because we give a certain amount of money to the church or because we show up on Sunday morning, not because we dress well enough, but because of the work of Jesus. Because of his grace as a free gift he gives to you. Because of his love. And I want you to hear this. If there's nothing you did to deserve the love of God, then there's nothing you can do to get rid of it. Does that make sense? Once you accept this free gift that's yours, then it's yours. And it changes your identity. It changes you completely. How great is that love? He's still forgiving as we are still sitting and repenting. And then this last part of Psalm 103, the verses 20 through 22, it's a universal invitation to praise the Lord. Matthew Henry says, if all are under God's dominion, all must do him homage. And the conclusion of this psalm is not one of conclusion, but of one of continuation. The completion isn't to sit down and rest, but for our souls to praise the Lord more and more. It was started off as a call to self to praise God as he looks at all the goodness of what God has done in creation and redemption and in his own life. As he looks at he heals diseases, he forgives sin as an unfailing love, is expanded to a call for all of creation. Here's the psalmist starting off with, okay, I like to picture, this is the way I picture it. The psalmist in 103 is literally sitting probably in a suffering, difficult situation. And he's commanding his soul, praise God, praise God. In my hardship, in my difficult time, I'm choosing to praise God. But then he starts thinking about, because this is what God did. 
In Moses, he did this. In redemptive history, he did this. He heals my sin. He heals my body, forgives my sin. His love is so ridiculously high. He looks at me the way I get to look at my children and loves me much more than that. He forgives me. He, he takes me in. He says I have purpose, that my suffering has meaning. How can, not only should I praise God, then every one of you guys needs to do it too. You all need to see this God. I mean, because in my enjoyment of him, I'm now saying, oh no, I need to praise him. In my consummation of that praise, now saying, you need to praise him too. This is who you need to know. You need to know this God. So the invitation is there to you today. That only in this relationship with Jesus, and only in this relationship with God, can you truly be able to look at even the good and the bad times and be able to praise authentically. To sincerely be able to say thank you, God, in the midst of even the worst of circumstances because you know your future is secure and you have the one thing that matters. I always say this, and you guys have heard me say this before, the human condition is this. We all crave, we all desire to be known. But in the midst of that desire to be known, we all want to be radically loved. And we all crave purpose. We want to be known, we want to be loved, and we want purpose. And it's only in the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, can we be known authentically without all our masks, with all our issues, with all our sin, be forgiven and still be radically loved. And not only radically loved, called to incredible purpose to share this good news with others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that God, in your mercy and your grace, God, that in the fullness of time, Jesus came, lived the perfect life of love, took upon the sin of the world upon himself, died in our place so that we can be known for all of our sin and all our issues. We can be known, but we can also be loved because a just and righteous God can now look upon us and have a relationship with us because of the work of Jesus. So we can be known and we can be loved and we can be called according to the mission and purpose you've given us. So God, we thank you. And God, we thank you that in this story that you've given us and our identity that we have in you, we now are able to praise you in the good times and the bad because we're part of something bigger. We have all that we need in you. So show us how to give thanks and praise in all things, in all times, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.